Hey there Thrivers, Jess here. Welcome to the show for another week. Today I have an interview with you with my friend Jessica Rose who has been on the show before. She is the founder of the Jewelers Academy in London, England and uh, I have known her for many years. She's a very smart cookie and she has just released a new book which I have a copy of right here. I'll make some ASMR sounds for you. Um, <laughs> it's called Start and Grow a Profitable Jewelry Business with Jessica Rose. It's incredibly detailed and comprehensive, and it goes through all the things you need to do in order to do exactly what the title says. Of course, it is aimed specifically at jewelers because that is her jam. But what we're going to cover in today's podcast is much more than that. I mean, it's going to work for jewelers, but it's pretty much all going to work for anyone, depending on the sort of handmade business you have. It doesn't really matter. Most of the tips today are going to help you to improve the profit margins of your handmade business. And who doesn't want that, especially in the current uh, economic climate, we could all use a few extra dollars in our pocket. So that is what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. If you enjoy it, make sure to subscribe and give me a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple and let's get to it. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name is Jess Van Den and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010 and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers just like you create and grow successful handmade businesses. So are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. I'm here today with Jessica Rose from the Jewelers Academy. Welcome to the show again, Jess. Thank you. Yes, lovely to be here. Always love coming on the show. You have a great one. (laughs) We've done a few podcast swaps over the years and it's always a pleasure. We always joke that we're like alternate versions of each other in different countries because our stories are quite similar. (laughs) Both started kind of making jewellery back in the late 2000s and then went in our own directions you know, I'm still making the jewellery myself. I've got the teaching business. And Jess now teaches other jewellers how to make jewellery. Can we just have a quick update on what's happened in the last few years with your business? Sure, yeah. So my business is called Jewellers Academy. And like you said, we teach people how to make jewellery and how to run profitable jewellery businesses. So the last few years, our main focus has been our diploma program. So we have Three, we're about to, nobody knows this yet, <laughs> we're about to launch a fourth um, diploma <laughs> program for jewellers. So we start like complete beginner and go through to professional kind of goldsmith and teach people online and send out kits with all the tools and materials. We have students all over the world. So it's it's been keeping us busy, It's but it's awesome. And it's lovely to see people's journey and how they're, they go from beginner through to, you know, building these amazing businesses. So it's great. Yeah, I guess it's kind of, it's almost like the old school apprenticeships, but online these days, you know, where you get that real, real help and support. And it's a long program where you get a lot of detailed instruction. So I think it's a fantastic program. Thank you. Yes. And a lot of our mentors, because when people join the programs, they get mentored directly by a jeweler, have done those apprenticeships and then, you know, gone through and have their own businesses. And now they're sort of able to pass it on. So it's really lovely. And it's nice that we can reach people in all corners of the world, because we used to run these in London, in a jewelry school in London. And that was great. But obviously, not everybody can get to London for the day. (laughs) Um, so like can't fit it in so the great thing about doing the diplomas online is people can fit them around their schedules so it's been really nice to see people who who couldn't do it before have access to that training now yeah now why I'm having just on the show again is well first of all you've just written a book which is amazing congratulations um and this is a very timely topic right now I think Uh, I mean it's always a timely topic but considering post-pandemic uh you know recession, inflation, tough times ahead, uh, potentially for those of us in small creative businesses. So today we want to talk about making your business more profitable. First of all, what is your book about and what is it called? Yes, yes, thank you. It's called Start and Grow a Profitable Jewelry Business. Um, it will apply to all makers, really, but we focus on jewelry because that's our our kind of community, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about, well, I started writing the book just about how to start and grow a business. And then 
uh, a jewelry business. And I thought, what's the key issue here that most makers face? And the key issue, the reason why people stop is because they're not making a profit. They're not making enough money either to be able to get help in or to be able to um, grow the business, to be able to buy the tools um, or just to enjoy their life. And so they're struggling. And even people who are selling are not always making a profit. I've met lots of makers who are may have sold 100 pieces that year or 200 or 300 but at the end of the day their bank balance is is empty or or even in minus sometimes and I think that's really sad and it's not that difficult to turn that around um and I see a lot of people stop their business that they love doing because they feel like it's not possible they feel like they're not good at making money but uh you know as creatives if we're not good at making money it's not our fault. <laughs> it's um, it's not our skill set a lot of the time. It's not the things that we've learned. It's not what we've done training in. It's not what we've been often encouraged from a young age. You know, people often like to tell us, oh, you're so creative. And and we we pick up that that's what we're good at. But actually, it's not that difficult to learn some simple, basic rules to make that profitable. It's much harder to learn how to be creative if you've been told <laughs> you're not creative all your life. Um, so it's really about just making sure that, um, yeah, our, our businesses can thrive and that we can build these things that are profitable, successful, sustainable, so that we can live the kind of lifestyles we want to live, which I know you teach a lot about this as well, Jess. So it's kind of yes. live aligned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is something I'm super passionate about is getting people to price correctly for one thing um, and just make sure that they are actually making a profit because that's the point of being in business. Like if you're not going to make a profit, if you're not going to, you know, actually make money from this and keep that money, then just what's the point? Do it as a hobby, you know? So we need to learn these skills if we're going to be successful in that way. So let's dive in to these five ways to make your creative business more profitable. What is the first way? Yes, thank you. So these are the, the five areas that I look at when I'm working with um, jewelers one-on-one to grow the profitability in their business. So the first area that we look at are your products, um, which may sound really obvious, <laughs> but it's so <laughs> And it's we look at our products from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And specifically today, I want you to think about the products you have in your business with the hat of profitability on. So we don't always look at them from that perspective. When we're coming up with new designs, we want to take that hat off because we want to make, want to be creative and free flowing and not restricted. But today we're thinking, can these products make a profit for me? And there's lots of different ways that you can look at that. So when I'm working with jewelers, we might say, what kind of materials are you using? Are you making mostly silver work? In which case there's a cap on how much you can usually charge for silver and how many hours is it to, if it's taking you like a week to make a silver piece, you're not setting yourself up for profit because we can't usually charge more than say 100, maybe 200, maximum 300 for a silver piece. And in a week we want more than 300 pounds. Um, so therefore we might look at, okay, if your pieces take that long to make, can we work in gold? Can we work in more fine work so that we're building a product range that is possible to be profitable for you? I mean, that's just one example and different makers will have different ways of doing it. But um, it's really thinking about your time, the the cost of the materials and, and the customer at the end. And does it, what I always ask people is, does it make sense? Mm. Does your product make sense to the maker and also to the buyer. And there's some things that you can do around this as well. Like we might have some products that we call loss leaders, which mm -hmm. anyone that did uh, like business studies at school might have learned about, which is <laughs> this idea that some of our products don't make us much money or perhaps even just break even, but they lead people to us. Mm -hmm. So that's what our marketing spend you could think of it as. So for example, with jewelers, again, we might make like a big statement necklace that costs you know, loads of money for us to make. And we know that not many people, if anyone will buy it, but when we're at a stand or a fair or an event, or even on our website, people will be like drawn to it. Like, wow, that's the hero piece. And then they might decide to buy the little pair of stud earrings that have a little element from that piece. Um, so that's one example of a time when you might say, I know this piece doesn't make money, but it's bringing people in. 
Mm. And perhaps I love making it, so I'm going to make it. But then we do need some products in the range that make you money. And also having a look at things like what are your best sellers? And they're the ones that need to have the most profit in. So if somebody's buying something from you over and over again, they're often the ones where you need to either increase the price in order to bring more profit into your business or reduce the cost of what it is that is that is costing you <laughs> to mm-hmm. make that piece, whether that's time or money or or whatever else. So it's really just a case of putting that profit hat on and saying, okay, let me look at my products. If I was to sell a hundred of these, would I have the money that I want at the end of the day? And if not, it's okay. Like that's okay. A lot of people it's like, oh no, even if I sell all my work, I still don't make the money I want to make. So then we work backwards and say, okay, what money do you want to make Mm -hmm. this year in your business? And how many pieces do you need to sell? And what kind of price point do they need to be at? So we start to have a bit more control over our products in our business and whether or not we are actually aiming towards a profit. And as makers, that makes us feel a lot more comfortable. It's very uncomfortable to do that work. But once we've done it, we can say, okay, I have a strategy. I have a plan. I know if I sell this many pieces, not only will I have this income, because income and profit are different, Mm -hmm. but I will have this much profit or, or roughly this much profit. And then you can feel much more confident about spending money in your business because you know what it's leading towards. So products is the first area. Yeah, that is Matt. You just like covered so many important, so many important points there. Um, the the big one that you mentioned it's a it's an exercise I do in my setup shop course as well is that idea of how many of these things do you have to sell to make this much money? And honestly, the amount it blows so many people's minds because they've just never ever thought of that before, and they've never put those numbers down. And it's such a eye opener at oh, okay, maybe maybe this is as things stand this is not going to work because I'd actually have to sell like a thousand of these things and that's just not realistic or whatever, or 10,000 or whatever. Um, And I really like the idea of the loss leader as well. Like having that, that hero product or couple of products, because you can just go to town and like make something like a piece of art, you know, that you're not so worried about making it profitable, uh, but that you can use on your marketing materials that you can use um, to get press for example, it's just a great way to get your signature style out into the world, no matter what you make, whatever. You know, we're going to talk a lot about jewellery here because we're both jewellers, you know, <laughs> so jewellery, you're a jewellery jewelry expert, it's going to come up. But all of this stuff can definitely, you know, apply to whatever craft you are or art style uh, you are working in. So that's some excellent pieces of advice there. All right, what's the second thing we're going to be looking at? Yes. Brilliant. Okay, so we've got our products, we've got our product range sort of sorted. So the next thing which you mentioned, Jess, is pricing, (laughs) which obviously is key to profitability. And I think, you know, it's asking yourself, are you pricing for profit? Or is it guesswork? I know someone in our community, they're very honest and lovely, but someone said, you know, the way I price my jewelry is I hold my earrings up to my husband and say, how much would you pay for these? (laughs) Which I kind of love on one level, but it's also, you know, that (laughs) scary <laughs> scary yeah. as a business. yeah you know because you don't again it's coming back to that if you did all this work and if you sell all these things will you have any money at the end of the day yeah. not money to like go and buy a limousine but just money to live and you know to just have the lifestyle you want so um yeah so looking at your pricing and and considering whether it's done for profit have you covered all of your bases in terms of your your time, your materials. Um, with jewellery, there's lots of extras. I'm sure there's lots of extras in every industry. So like for us, there's things like hallmarking, um, postage and packaging and insurance, um, and of course, all of your overhead. So I would say spend a little bit of time, and, and Jess, I'm sure you cover this um, in your courses, but it's also covered in the book, just looking at what is profit, Mm. what's the difference between net profit and gross profit um these are the basic numbers you need to know they can sound scary when you first start out but once you get to grips with them you don't need to be an accountant you don't need to be a finance expert but just to understand the basics of small business finance which is you know income sales revenue are all the same thing that's just money coming in so if i sell a piece for 100 pounds that's my income sometimes it's called sales sometimes it's called revenue and it's confusing because they use lots of different terms to mean the yeah. same thing the world to work all that out. um <laughs> and then 
that we have our cost of goods. So the cost of goods is how much you spend to make each piece. So the way that you know your cost of goods is that if you make 10 rings, it costs you 10 times that cost. So for example, if my silver costs 10 pounds each for 10 rings, it's a hundred pounds. Whereas there are other things like fixed costs or overheads, they mean the same thing. They might be if I buy a hammer, if I buy a hammer, it costs the same if I make one ring or 10 rings. Mm -hmm. So they're my fixed costs. So just spending a bit of time getting to grips with these basic terms so that you can understand how a business works financially. And like I said, it's nowhere near as scary as it sounds. And it's <laughs> and once you've got it, it's just mm -hmm. like one of those things like riding a bike. You're like, okay, I get it now. I know how to make a profit in a business. And I know where my break-even point is. And again, it's really letting go of perfectionism. So when I first learned this stuff, I had with these spreadsheets and I was like, every day I need to check my profit. And that was too much. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely once a year to look yeah. back and say, what was my net profit? And net profit is what we think of as profit, which is the money we have in our bank kind of at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What is my gross profit? And your gross profit is, is not really profit, but it's how much before all of your overhead. So just looking at the cost of the piece. Mm -hmm. And after that's taken out, how much money is left. And that's a really good figure to, to understand um, the kind of uh, the, the health of a business mm -hmm. because you can always work on changing those fixed costs but if your cost of sales which is like how much it, it takes you to make the piece is too high then you've already set yourself up for failure mm -hmm. so as an industry average you want your um, gross profit margin and I hope I don't lose people at this point but that's <laughs> a profit um, you want that to be around 60 percent um, and your net profit is usually around 20%. So if you look at your gross profit and it's like 80% or, you know, or, or 40% or it's something com completely different, that will have consequences for the, the profitability of your business. So it's it sounds harder on a podcast because when you put it down in numbers, <laughs> it's kind of much easier to understand. Like mm. it, We go through it in detail in the book, um, but also I'm sure like there are resources and things. There's loads of stuff, you know, that kind of explain this basic business finance. But once you have that piece, it just means that you are much better placed and better equipped to manage a business and price your jewelry for profit or your whatever you're making for profit. And I guess... The last thing I would say, and I know Jess says this a lot, is don't undercharge. Mm. Because when you undercharge, everybody loses. The customer loses because they are confused about what handmade means, that you're giving them an education in that you can buy a handmade piece for less. Mm. And then you're attracting bargain hunters, which is not the audience. Um, you lose because, uh, and we say this, like you wouldn't want a piece that has been made by someone in another country lower than minimum wage yet you're willing to charge yourself less than minimum wage so if you look at it from like a fair trade perspective I think it's a basic ethical standard for yourself to be charging you know what you need in order to create something sustainable and just personally when I buy stuff from makers I think it's very selfish when they undercharge because I want to come back to them in a few years and get another piece and they're <laughs> not going to any more <laughs> so um so yeah that that's the kind of pricing piece yeah, absolutely. Now, if you have, if you just listen to that and you're like, oh my God, what? Um, <laughs> you need to go back and write down all those names of things and look them up and learn them. Because if you don't know what all those terms mean, you're not running a business with your business hat on because those are absolutely fundamental basic numbers <laughs> when it comes to looking at the uh, health of your business. Because if your business isn't financially healthy, it's not going to be viable in the long term, which is what Jess is saying there at the end. You know, if you underprice yourself, you're going to eventually your business will fold because you simply won't be able to keep going because you, it's costing you more than you're earning. You'll have to go get a different job or, you know, something else will will cause it to fail. Now that, you know, there's a lot of stats out there about how risky it is to start a business and how hard it is for businesses to become profitable. Um, I think a lot of that data is really based on brick and mortar businesses though. You know, they have huge startup costs and ongoing costs to, you know, fit out uh, a, a brick and mortar space and to pay rent and all. 
For those of us who have online businesses or maybe do markets and things like that or wholesale, we don't have those enormous overhead costs, which is why we can kind of do this sort of scrappy sort of startup and and do it from our kitchen table or spare room or whatever. Um, so it might not take as long to become profitable as it would for those the other businesses, but there is still, you know, there is a, a lead time to that. But you do need to understand all those numbers and really, you know, study them, as you said. You know, I like to check in on my the health of my business on a like monthly basis. I'll go in and look at what my numbers are doing and make sure it's kind of going in the right direction. But honestly, if you've been in business long enough, you you can just tell, like you know how things are going. You, you get a feel for the vibe. It's like you know how many sales you generally should be making and how much money you should generally be making on a weekly, monthly, quarterly yearly basis and you kind of start feeling it out and knowing if things aren't going well but that takes time to develop so by by doing this work up front and learning these these what these terms mean and looking at your numbers there's no point in hiding from it right Jess like I think a lot of people sort of bury their heads in the sand because they're a bit afraid of what that's going to show them yeah absolutely and money does bring up a lot of fear for people when we talk about this again in the book and just in our courses is you know, don't ignore that as well. If you need to do your accounts for an hour and then have the day off because you're, <laughs> and I know it sounds silly, but it can bring up things. It can bring mm. up things from childhood. It can bring up things currently, like if there's fear, money and fear are very, very related. Um, mm. And often money and, and safety are very related as well. Yeah. Like we feel safe if we have, if we feel like we're financially stable. So don't, I'd say like if feelings come up, it's not a sign that you shouldn't be doing it. It's just a sign that you maybe need some self-care around that. So whether it's like taking some time off or or we like to sometimes tap on the end of something we don't want to do with something we really want to do. So if you've been waiting to make something that perhaps, you know, isn't even going to help your business, but you just want to make it for fun, like give yourself <laughs> that as the reward. So it's, it's about managing yourself as well, because it is it can be really triggering, I suppose, talking about money. Um, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It just means that you need to self-care afterwards and maybe do it in little stages. And once you've done it, it's kind of, and then you and you feel confident you won't be triggered by it anymore. Um, but I do understand, especially if you've never looked at the numbers before, you might need someone there with you. You might need, you know, someone to come around and ask a friend and be like, can you just watch me while I do my accounts? Cause I'm so scared and I just don't want to do it. And so build what you need, like use what you use, whatever resources you can find, but don't not do it because yeah. it's, like I said, it's essential. Yeah. And it's empowering in the true sense. Like once you, once you have that knowledge, you can decide what to do with it. And come from a place of, of of knowing what's going on and and being realistic with it. And I mean, I personally find that really, yeah, really empowering. I, I really enjoy that feeling of of knowing what's happening, and that I feel like I can make wise choices and decisions moving forward with my business once I come from from that place of knowledge rather than a place of ignorance. Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it gives you so much confidence in your business strategy yeah. as well. You're like, I know my numbers. I've got a great product. I know what I'm doing. It's just a case of pushing it forward, which is where we come on to number three. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So number three is communication. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at your products. We've looked at your pricing. Now we look at how you communicate with your customers. Um, some people call this marketing, but I find when I say the M word, people turn off. So I call it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um do you think it's a little bit more effective as well especially with maker businesses because it is it's less like what campaign are we going to do and it's more like how am I going to talk to people and the key here for me is asking yourself how do you like to communicate with people so instead of doing whatever the latest trend is online um which you know some which you may love or you may hate it's saying, how do you normally communicate? What's your, if you look at your behavior in your day-to-day -day life, how do you like to talk to people? Do you like to call them on the phone? Do you like to WhatsApp all your friends? Do you just like to turn up at their house and have a chat? Do you <laughs> like dinner parties where there's a whole group of you? Or do you like being one-on-one, -on -one, like close with an intimate friend? Because they're great signs 
for how you like to talk to people and communicate and where your kind of zone of genius is in terms of communication. And I find that when people lean into that is when they're great at communicating, which is also a secret word for marketing, which is a secret word for selling. Um, <laughs> so that's the first thing is I'd say, like, how do you like to, to communicate? Um, I know for me, like, I'm not a big fan of messages or emails or like text-based. I like talking to people and I like being with people and I like being with groups and I like being one-to-one. So they're the places that I am best. It doesn't mean I can't do the other things, Mm. but they're the places that I am best. So in my team, I'm lucky to have a team. I don't do the writing. Most of the time I have someone who does that. I do like the podcast because I like talking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do the videos because I like talking and I do the events because again, I like talking. Um, (laughs) So it's when I first started, obviously, I had to do everything. But there are things you can outsource as you grow. Mm. And also, you don't have to do everything. You can find the areas that you like. But I think for make a business around communication, what I've been really encouraging our community to do as well is have more conversations about your business. Mm. And not not just online, not just on Instagram, but to tell people what you're doing regularly and not in a sales way, but just when you meet up with your friends, say, you know, this is what's happening in my business and these are my challenges and these are the things I'm excited about because we move on and the book talks about this. There's three stages, generally speaking, of these types of businesses. And the stage one is kind of like getting your first 10,000 pounds through the door mm-hmm. and you know, if your products are about hundred pounds each, that's your first hundred sales. Mm-hmm. So if you think about your first hundred sales and where they come from, usually they will come from friends and family, people that you already know and people that they already know. Mm-hmm. So you probably already know in your extended network about 10 people who are interested in buying your work. You may not think you do, but if you looked at like the school run and the church and the gym and whatever communities you're involved in, you probably would be able to find about 10 people who'd be interested. All of those people probably know about 10 people who would also be interested. (laughs) That's your first £10,000 in your business. I think the mistake a lot of people make is they're like, I need to set up Instagram and emails and websites. And that's great because we do need that. That's all for stage two. But don't expect your initial sales to immediately come from there. Mm-hmm. there that's normally the next stage, sort of 10,000 to sort of 50,000 pounds in your business of income tends to come from online. So I really encourage people to try and talk to at least like five people every week about your business because even if they're not interested they may know someone who is and that kind of face-to-face or or it could be like direct messaging but something personal not just Mm. a sort of put out their message and you do this just with your even with like your very personal um emails that you send on etsy to people and kind of following up that connection is Mm -hmm. so important we don't need thousands of customers in our businesses, but we need a deeper connection with a fewer people who are going to help spread the word, mm-hmm. um, kind of go out there and, and find that first hundred customers. And and then there's some other stages which are quite different, but that stage I think is so important. That's really great. And I think it's really true what you say, you know, word of mouth is still the most powerful marketing tool there is because people, social proof is one of the most marketing, uh, powerful marketing strategies, which is, you know, why infomercials work and why the influencer world exists because people like to hear from people who genuinely recommend things that they like and then they go buy them, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of what we're talking about here in that first stage is that word of mouth social proof element of things. And obviously, you know, you need, no one will know about your business if you don't talk about it. So you need to get comfortable talking about it. And I know a lot of people who aren't comfortable talking about it, especially in the beginning stages. Um, I think there's this kind of weird sense of, oh, it's just a silly little thing I'm doing rather than this is a business I'm running and I'm serious about it. Um, I still, I still remember my, um, Early on the first few years, I think maybe two or three years into running my business, one of my cousins at Christmas was like, oh, how's how's your jewellery business going? You know, like a little bit condescendingly. <laughs> yeah. And then I I came back and went, oh, we meant, we, you know, great, we made X amount of dollars this year. And the look on his face was like, what? Like you actually <laughs> made that much money? <laughs> and it was quite a, 
it was quite a, a, a heartening moment for me because I was like, yes, this is serious. You know, this is it's a real business. It's not just this little hobby thing I'm doing. Um, so, you know, you might be lucky enough to have that sort of experience where you're like, hey, you know, people might not take you seriously, but, you know, you can prove to them that this is serious and it is something that's worthwhile. But you do need to get comfortable talking about it to the people you know, for starters. Because if you can't talk about it to the people you know, how are you going to talk about it to the people you don't know? You're not going to be comfortable with it. So, yeah, and that that deeper connection too, like I think that's really, really amazing because if you can make a deep connection with a customer, not only will they potentially come back and buy from you again and again, and I have a lot of wonderful repeat customers who come back and buy from me over and over, but they'll also tell their friends, of course, and, and they'll and they'll, if they wear, especially as a jeweler, if they wear your piece regularly, they'll be able to say, "Oh, I got it from you know so and so." So, that, I think that's a really important and potentially overlooked part of um, marketing these days, when we're all about the socials and and so on. Do you want to get more sales on Etsy? Etsy is a huge part of my business, and the vast majority of my sales come from Etsy search. That means I have to optimize my Etsy SEO or search engine optimization in order to be found. And if you want to be found, you need to do the same. If you'd like some tricks and tips to help you optimize your search engine optimization on Etsy, head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash Etsy SEO and you can download my Etsy SEO cheat sheet, which will teach you all of the tips you need to implement in order to make sure that you're getting your best possible ranking on Etsy search. That's createandthrive.com forward slash Etsy SEO to download that free cheat sheet right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the socials are so important for building the long term. Mm. But what I find is people get very disheartened because I like I posted and and I'm being ignored. Whereas if you've got those first, even your first 10 customers and they're sharing on social media and then you get, you know, another 10 and they start interacting, you're mm. building this community of people that you know anyway, and then you're just kind of following up online. Mm. And then that kind of has this gravitational effect that other people start to come in. Um, and I think that, yeah, I do totally understand the frustration of starting an Instagram account and just shouting into the ether. And I yeah. think want to kind of avoid that pain for people as much as possible. So, yeah, getting some some more kind of personal connections. And I remember when I started my business, uh, my sister, who's is, is worth being very tenacious, you know, if you can. Um, I remember she said to me, oh, can you make me one of those rings, Jess? And I was like, yeah, of course. I was like, and I'll give it to you, but you need to bring me 10 customers um, based on me giving you this ring. And she was like, that's fine. I'm going out tonight. I'll tell everyone. Um, <laughs> And I'm sure she did. I'm sure she's done that like five times over. So use the people in your network who are good at putting you out there. You don't have to just sell yourself, you know, mm-hmm. get people who are going to shout about you and you can bribe them with jewelry or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so get other people to to use their, if, if that's, you know, I'm not that good at being like, come buy my stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I am good at being like, you go and get those people to go and buy my stuff. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Use when you're sort of, communicating yeah. I think my mum's probably told more people about my business than I have over the years so you know <laughs> let leverage leverage the family <laughs> and your friends who, who are happy to support you um okay what are we up to number four yes number four so number four another really important one is how you spend your time Mm-hmm. Um, so this is your kind of it combines like your time management, but also what you're doing in your business. And uh, I always ask, you know, especially if you're a bit further along, are there any things that you're doing in your business that someone else could do for less time? And remember that time and money are very related. Mm-hmm. So um, it can be quite scary to start outsourcing or to start getting help in your business. But and and often we wait. We're sort of like, well, when I've got enough money, then I'll hire someone. Mm. But the problem is, you reach this stage if you're feeling very busy and kind of like you can't fit it all in. You're not able to bring the, the money in. Getting someone to help, and we'll talk about some different ways in which that could be. Maybe the thing that turns you from not profitable to profitable. So it sounds counterintuitive. And I remember my first hire, I got an assistant one day a week. 
And I wasn't making any profit at this point. So it was scary for me to hire someone. But I thought, if I don't have this person, and it was it was kind of a little bit easier for me to choose because I was teaching classes. And while I was teaching classes, I was missing bookings for the next classes. So I knew that I needed someone to take those calls. An answer machine isn't quite the same. And uh, and that and I kind of said, you know, income, more income will come in through that. But there were lots of different things that she helped me with. And like, I think three weeks later, I was like, can you do two days a week? <laughs> and then like a few months later, I was like, can you work full time? So, you know, that kind of snowballed. But there's lots of ways that makers can outsource things. So photography is one of the key first things that we do. If you're spending days, weeks, hours trying to do your own photography and you're spending money on all the equipment and all of this and you don't enjoy it and you could be spending that time building your product collection, working on these conversations, communication is the one thing that I wouldn't outsource um, because that's your direct line to your customer. That's some, that's a personal connection, especially in the early days. But pretty much anything else, accountancy, um, even some of the making, you know, for jewelers that might be polishing, polishing up all the pieces can take hours, whereas you can pay someone six pounds to polish your piece. So it's a no brainer. Um, there may be parts of the making process, especially if you're doing more batch creation that you can outsource. So outsourcing is one area. If you're not ready to outsource yet, Are you being conscious about how you're spending your time in your business? And I think this isn't about doing more. Um, Most of us need to do less. (laughs) Most of us are doing too much, working too hard. And actually in just, you know, four hours a day or sometimes half an hour a day, if you're working part time, you can run a thriving, successful business. But you need to be intentional about how you're spending that time. So for me, I always know the day before what I'm doing the next day. So I'll never come to my bench or to my desk and be like, what shall I do today? Because I will spend, I'll procrastinate, I'll get confused, I'll write to-do lists, it will be a whole whole mess. Um, whereas I know the day before, okay, this morning I'm doing this podcast and then I've got another appointment and then I've got some time to go for a walk and then I'm picking my son up. You know, I've got it kind of planned out and it may not go exactly to plan, but it means my brain can start working on that in the background the day before. And when I come to do it, there's no time wasted kind of thinking about what I'm going to do. So that's that's one really important thing, blocking out time. And again, putting that profit hat on and saying, are the things that I'm doing in my business making me money? And one thing I'd recommend doing is at least once a quarter um, in your business, doing something that we call a revenue generating activity. So this is something that is aimed to bring money in. And it might be that you're doing a fair or an event. So you go, you sell your jewelry, that's revenue generating. Hopefully, obviously you can't control what happens, but generally (laughs) Um, if you're a purely online business, you might do like a little launch and say for this week only, you know, if you buy one of my mugs, you get something, an egg cup for free. I'm not great at non-jewelry analogies. (laughs) (laughs) Free egg cup. Um, You know, but we, we try and encourage bonuses over discounts for makers who don't like to discount too much it can even be free postage for a week but something where you're saying I'm making a targeted effort every 90 days in my business to bring in money so we're not just sitting back and waiting and hoping and crossing our fingers but we have a bit more control and we're saying okay I've tried this one I've tried that one it doesn't matter if it doesn't work it's just the intention to this week I'm going to bring money into my business and some of them will be successful some of them won't but that way we kind of learn and grow so yeah, it's being intentional about your time and how it's going to lead to profit, um, but also making sure you're looking after yourself and having time off as well. Yeah, definitely. I always say to people like, you need to spend one, you need to spend either time or money to grow your business, you know, because time is money. <laughs> so there, there comes a point where you don't have any more time to spend. And so maybe you do need to spend a bit of money by outsourcing, as you were saying. Um outsourcing bookkeeping was the first thing I outsourced to be fair I outsourced it to my husband for free um you know and great if you can do that fantastic uh and and also just just on that topic I always like to make the point because most of the people in my community are women and a lot of them are the main homemaker for example um they might be staying at home with kids or you know in that stage of life but don't just think about how you can outsource business things. What about everything else? Like all the domestic stuff. Like can you 
outsource it to your children? Can you outsource it to a spouse? Can you outsource it to a cleaner or, a, you know, buying uh, you foods or whatever, you know, meals for a week just to give yourself a break? Whatever it is, you know, think of think of all areas of the life that, of life that you're in charge of and go, where can I get myself more time? Not only, as you said, to do more work, but also just to exist and, and you know, have that downtime and self-care time as well because that is just as important as anything else. Otherwise, you end up burning out and you can't do anything. So, yeah, I think that's incredibly important is, is that ability to think of your time and think of the best way to spend your time. And that may mean, yeah, hiring, hiring people. Um, you know, I, I employ Nick full time now and I have for a couple of years now, and he does a lot of stuff in the business. Um, and we're just in a fortunate position that, you know, he was interested in, in coming on board and, and being part of it. So I didn't have to outsource to someone else. Um, I could just keep it in house, so to speak. (laughs) <laughs> which which works really nicely. And I know there's a lot of couples who are in that situation um, that I've talked to over the years. So, you know, that's always a potential as well. Um, yeah, okay, I love so- that outsourcing the other things in your life because yeah. you're right it's all everything that you're doing is your life. So, you know, make, making time and and something that I kind of talk about quite a lot is the rest or the downtime in your business is it's part of your business um I think we often think like oh I'll stop my business work to like go for a walk that's part of my working day and it has to be and and actually you know having that time and that space brings up creative ideas brings up solutions a a big part of being a business owner is problem solving and taking risks and you need energy from which to make good decisions on on both of those things otherwise it could be interesting it could be an interesting ride so um Seeing it not as a luxury or, or even a reward, but actually as an essential part of your business strategy, I think is is really important. It's something I've come to do over the years. Yeah, I agree. You know, I've, I've had my best ideas usually walking in the shower or just before falling asleep. Those are kind of the periods where I tend to have the best ideas. By the way, if you can hear some banging in the background, it's because there are fireworks at the school because it's Christmas, just before Christmas as we're recording this. And it's the evening for me. So yeah, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but that's what it is if you're curious. Um, Okay. So let's talk about number five, final five. What is the last thing that we want to look at? Yeah. So the number five is your, it kind of brings a lot of it together, but your business model So we look at your business model, or you might call it your strategy, but it is essentially like, what is the plan here? (laughs) And and again, does it make sense? So it's not about having like an MBA in this stuff. It's a lot of it is common sense. It's like, does this work? You know, looking at it objectively, and it's hard to do that for your own business, but trying to take out the emotion and the connection and just saying, does this kind of work? And we're looking at in this one where you're selling your work, who your customers are, and whether it all kind of fits together to make sense. So in a jewelry business, we've kind of identified some key business models, and I'm sure they'll apply to lots of other industries as well. So one of them is selling more like wholesale through shops and galleries. So you're making multiples of each piece. There's um, There needs to be a high profit margin in these pieces because there needs to be profit for you, the maker, and profit for the shop. Um, so if that's your main model, and I do recommend having a main business model, what normally happens with maker businesses is we start out and then we do all the business models. We're like, <laughs> I'm going to sell at fairs, events, one-to-one. I'm going to maybe just, I did. Yeah. I'll just do all of it. I'll sell on Etsy. I'll have a website, maybe folksy as well. Like we'll just, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. I call that the experimentation phase. And I definitely spent a long time there. But in order to actually grow and have a profitable business, you need to slim it right down, focus and pick one main area. It doesn't mean you can't do anything else, but one key area, which you did just when you kind of focused on your Etsy and your, you know, selling online. And also your product range was very slim down and focused and you just went all in. And then once that had built, you were able to do more of the teaching business. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't mean that you're restricted forever, but in order to build something, you kind of need to focus on that one thing mm-hmm. so looking at your business model so is it are you selling yeah wholesale which means you need to be able to make quite a few pieces not always loads it might just be 10 but make some sort of batch 
and also have enough profit in those for for the two sides are you doing commissions like one-to-one pieces one-off pieces um in which case you're probably going to need a higher price point you Mm -hmm. definitely need a higher price point Mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to be selling less of them so again with jewelers they might just sell one piece a month and they might cost like three grand Mm -hmm. um or, or it might be like two or three pieces a month that are a thousand pounds each or whatever it is. Um, so does your, does that make sense? Or you might be somewhere in between, you might be selling online, your pieces might be like 100 to 300. It is a lot easier for makers to sell either under 300 or over 800. So that <laughs> middle bracket is really challenging, just so you know. So if you're in yeah. that middle bracket, I would encourage you to pick a side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't mean you can't have anything in the middle but don't have all your stuff between 300 and 800 people really can't choose at that point if it's under 300 they're kind of like let's go if it's over it's like yeah I'm ready to invest but in the middle it's just like it's too much or is it too little I don't know I'm confused I'm lost um so yeah I would say pick Mm. pick a side I I wonder how that translates to dollars like if they if it's like like 300 to 800 dollars would be similar or whether it's a higher price point for dollars what the exchange rate is it's um so trying to think what 300 pounds would yeah we'd have to look it up we'll have to look it up i mean for me just off the top of my head for australian dollars 300 pounds it's probably like two-thirds of that so i'm yeah so quite a lot more like 500 dollars would be the equivalent of 300 pounds it's kind of mm. the amount you might spend on your partner at Christmas. Like it's, yeah, okay. well, I, mean, I guess that's subjective. Yeah. <laughs> it's an important gift, but it's not like, it's not like your engagement ring. It's yeah. not like. Probably similar than I would say, like a couple of hundred dollars is kind of, you know, yeah. and then over over a thousand maybe, you know, would be like, that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a really big investment piece. Yeah. Mm. So it's easier if you kind of pick, pick a side mm-hmm. and, and, and move towards a side or perhaps you know have pieces in in each mm. um but yeah and again it's making decisions like what is your price point bracket and and who is your customer and mm. really kind of targeting them so all of this stuff obviously takes time it doesn't happen overnight and I think I really want people to know like if you don't know any of this or if it feels new or if it feels like a lot we are cramming a lot in but also don't feel bad like Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about running a business before I started and it's not sometimes I think with business we feel like we should just know Mm -hmm. and if we don't we're not good enough but actually like none of us know but we can learn and these are skills that I've learned I've been on hundreds of business courses over the years and I love learning about this stuff so and I know Jess you're you're similar you're always learning new things so it's um it's really taking the shame out of don't have a profitable business it's not your fault but there are things we can do to to make it profitable so looking at your business model making some conscious decisions Mm -hmm. focusing in on a key area of growth and just committing to it and and going for it and if you do that it will work it may take time but if you don't give up it will work and Mm -hmm. you don't need to be a rocket scientist or a genius or have any special skills it's just about kind of slimming it down making sure it makes sense from a business perspective and just keep going yeah absolutely 100% agree it's all about consistency it's all about just keeping on plugging along believing you can do it and learning everything you need to learn and you can you know you're capable of it I had no idea either I had I knew none of this when I started and that's normal you know I think it's important to just realize that that's normal and don't beat yourself up about it just learn the lessons and you know it's it's funny I think probably for Jess and I who've who've mentored and taught so many people over the years you see the same learning curve from everybody who goes through this like there's the rare person who might have a corporate business background who kind of jumps in with that knowledge intact but the vast majority of you do not have that background and you're you're on you're on the same journey as everybody else and that's absolutely fine and normal and you can take heart in that and go hey that's where we all started look it up you know and and not just us two but all the people who are successful the majority of them started from that point and they've all managed to make it work that means you can too so I I think that's you know I I personally if I was listening to this back then I'd be like oh you know, that's, that's nice to hear, you know, I'm not alone here. I'm not this weird outlier who doesn't understand this stuff. 
it's in fact a normal place to be and it's just by investing in ourselves and investing in our knowledge that we are going to be moving forward and if you've watched or listened to this entire episode then you are like already doing an awesome job because Jess has shared so many good tips (laughs) throughout this episode Jess it's been fantastic thank you so much for sharing all of this now I'm assuming all of this is also in your book um in in probably more detail yes yeah absolutely yeah it's yeah it's available on amazon start and grow a profitable jewelry business and like i said it is aimed at jewelers but everyone who who's read it has said it it kind of works generally across the board for makers so if you're interested um then check it out and yeah we kind of cover it in more detail how you can and kind of flesh out practically how you can create these steps and it's also meant to be kind of a companion mm-hmm. um so as well as like a guide, a kind of, it's got lots of stories of makers and and how they've been successful. And I think the lovely thing I learned about doing those case studies with, I think we had about 10 jewelers, um, is just, they all do it in different ways. Mm. And they've all found their own path. And some of them are really successful and have huge shops like you and sell all over the world. And some of them have their little like she cave in their house and they make and you know just do it on the weekends that have like a side business and everything in between so I know I've learned so much from from creating it and just being part of that kind of community and I'm sure you have as well Jess but Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah it's just been lovely to kind of put together and see how it's gonna help people to to build their businesses going forwards Awesome. Well, congratulations on the book. Um, I can't wait to read it. I'm, I'm awaiting my copy. And <laughs> for those, <laughs> and I will put a link to it in the show notes and below the YouTube video as well for anybody who wants to go check it out. Uh, again, the title is Start and Grow a Profitable Jewelry Business. Uh, I'm assuming by Jessica Rose on the cover as well. And um, <laughs> I'll also put a link, of course, to Jess's Jewelers Academy. So if you are a jeweler and you are interested in deepening your practice, and learning more and expanding your skill base, then I strongly recommend that you check out her classes because they are fantastic. So as always, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Always fun to catch up and chat and see what's going on with your business. So thank you so much for coming on the show again today, Jess. Wonderful. Thank you, Jess. Lovely to have you and lovely to see what you're doing as well. Can't wait to see what's next for you guys and the community going forwards. Bye. (laughs) hey i hope you enjoyed that one i always love chatting with jess it's good fun and she has so much knowledge to share and experience in this industry so make sure to check out her book i'll leave a link to it in the show notes so you can go have a look at it and of course i'll leave a link to all of her stuff her youtube her website and so on if you want to go check her out and check out her work and maybe you want to learn from her uh, some amazing jewelry skills i recommend her course So if you enjoyed this one, please do give me a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. Five star rating would obviously be appreciated. Um, And, you know, make sure to go subscribe over on my YouTube channel as well. I did release this on YouTube as an interview also, and it's a great zero cost way of supporting me and the show. So head on over to youtube.com forward slash Jess Van Den. And of course, I release a lot more content over on my YouTube channel than I do on the podcast. So that is the number one place to go at the moment to learn from me me. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you being here and trusting me to help you on your handmade business journey. Of course, big shout out and thanks to all the members of my membership community, the Thriver Circle over at thrivercircle.com. I wouldn't be here without you and your support. If you want to support the show and learn so much at the same time, including getting access to my year long course, Your Year to Thrive, which will teach you everything you need to know to start and grow a thriving and profitable handmade business head on over to thrivercircle.com we also have monthly live chats calls workshops and a wonderful community so if you ever wanted to work with me get my help that is the place to do it thrivercircle.com thanks so much for listening and i'll catch you in the next episode bye for now